0: Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets." Everyone is following or chasing after something. Wouldn't you agree? Everyone. Jesus' day, long before Jesus came in his earthly ministry, everyone, everyone's following, pursuing something. Careers, money, entertainment, leisure, Pleasure, success, education, relationships, fun, peace. Remember pursuing that? It goes on and on. Everyone's pursuing something. But even more than that, everyone's actually following someone. Everyone. You know, Jesus simplifies things. He brings things down to its lowest common denominator, on a regular basis. Remember, which is the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments, not just the ten, but the the multitude of commandments that were in the Old Testament, Jesus said, I can narrow it down to two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here Jesus is saying, essentially, there are two groups of people in the world. Those that follow after me and those that follow themselves. And ultimately, you know, the whole world, the Scriptures tell us that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Satan has a plan for everyone's life. And God has a plan for everyone's life. Now don't think Satan and God are equals, they're not. Satan's just a created being, he will spend all eternity in torment and hell, but before he gets there, he's got a lot, he, he is the most shady salesperson ever, right? Selling everyone a bill of goods that really will amount to nothing. You ever bought something that you realize afterwards that was a really bad purchase? And you realize afterwards that this isn't really what I paid for, really what I hoped for, really what I expected to get out of it, I didn't get the value out of it, we can look back. Can you imagine if you go back and now that you're older, some of you, you look great for your age, by the way, but now that some of you are older, you could go back in time and not purchase all the things you now know were dumb purchases. Your bank account would look a lot better, wouldn't it? Your inheritance for the kids would look a lot better. You go back and say, these things didn't amount to much. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, there's really only two ways, folks. Talking to his disciples, he turns his attention to them. And he's like, you can either follow fully after me, or you can follow fully after the world. But you can't have both. Because... Now, He might bless you with some of the things that you would give all your time and energy to because God is just gracious. I've been blessed with a lot of things that I certainly don't deserve and so have, so have you. I look at this building we're in, we don't deserve this. Now that I can actually go into other churches and say, wow, I got everything. Or I can remember that our brothers and sisters, some places don't have anything at all. And they don't love the Lord any less than us. In fact, I would say many of them love the Lord more than us. And so why would we be given something? Because God's just God. In His grace, he, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. He gives what He gives to each person. But ultimately, speaking to this group, he, you notice what He says. In the very first verse that we read in chapter 20, for yours is the kingdom of God. Everything that we do in this world is either contributing to treasures in heaven or it's contributing to our own selves here. Everything. Jesus reducing things to the most common denominator. If you're taking notes this morning I've titled our time in God's "We're living for who? Living for for who? That's a question mark on the end. I mean, that's, the, that's only you can answer that question. The Lord will help you answer that question. Lord, who am I living for? The Lord will tell you who you're living for. He's going to only say, at the end of the age, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, if you've been here any length of time, I love that Jesus does not say good and perfect servant because no one's ever done that. He says good and faithful servant. The faithful servants were the ones that truly followed after Christ. And then the others is, depart from me, I never knew you. Again, God doesn't have 88 different categories. it's Down to these very narrow things of making a choice, who are we living for? Now, I mentioned that this is, some of your Bibles might actually say the Beatitudes. How many of you are familiar with that term, Beatitudes? you probably heard it many times in your life. You probably know, what in the world does it mean? Uh, The word beatitudes, it comes from a Latin adjective, beatitudo, which means happy or fortunate. Everyone feels fortunate when they're persecuted, right? Jesus said leap for joy here. uh, Blissful. The blessed ones. Who are the blessed ones? Well, the blessed ones are those that by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the regenerated work of the Holy Spirit, actually begin to acquire... Of course we receive the full nature of God implanted in us with salvation, but as we grow in the Lord we actually acquire the Christ-like character that Jesus Himself has. The New Testament would later say that we have the mind of Christ. We can't give ourselves the mind of Christ, we only receive the mind of Christ. So the blessed life or the blessed ones are those that walk in the Spirit and they no longer walk according to the flesh. They've come to the place that the Holy Spirit is so real in their lives that even though they know of the things of the flesh, they're able to lay them aside and even reject them for the greater riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that blessing is not something you can conjure up or create. It comes from the Lord. We'll look at three things here this morning, a desire, a difficulty, and a deception. Jesus tells us that last portion of uh, the deception, very important. You know, the Lord loves us enough that He not only gives us what we need, but He warns us of what we not only don't need, but lest we fall into those things which would destroy us. Yeah, remember in the Old Testament, we see there was two men. They were related, Abraham and Lot, right? Right? Both had the same opportunity to walk the blessed life, but one had his eyes on a homeland that was not on this earth. Matter of fact, to the point where he said, Lot, have anywhere you want. Lot had his eyes on all that the world had to offer, and Jesus would ask the same question then as he would ask today, which one are you pursuing? Because when our life ends, which is just but a vapor, and those that are older, you know how much of a vapor it is. You're like, yeah, the steam is about this way up out of, the, out of the pan now, or the pot is boiling. We can see it dissipates rather quickly. What will be left of our lives? Well, Jesus addresses these things here in Luke chapter 6. Now I mentioned again that this can also be found, when you think of the Beatitudes, there's only four that are mentioned here. If you go over to Matthew chapter 5... Go over there for just a second, turn to your left, you've got Mark in the middle there and then you've got Matthew to your left, Uh, so turn just quickly over to Matthew chapter 5, you see some of these same exact Beatitudes, Matthew lists eight of them, Matthew lists eight of them, Luke lists four of them, and four of them match up but he doesn't cover uh, the full eight that Matthew covers. And we'll talk about in just a second why that may be. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 5 starting with verse uh, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here we actually get a different look at the same terminology. Luke just says blessed are the poor. Uh, Matthew records, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Uh, There's the meek drop down to those who hunger, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not just hunger, but hunger for righteousness. Um, Blessed are, look at verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted uh, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's actually eight, you can read them there, and then there's four. Turn back with me uh, to Luke chapter 6, but I just wanted to point out, now Matthew uh, his um, recording of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So the Beatitudes were given on the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew records a much longer exhaustive covering of that teaching of Christ, which goes from Matthew chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. Luke's is much more abbreviated. Now there's actually some, and you may, some you may be of this mindset if you've studied this, some believe this is a totally different message altogether called Sermon on the Plain because Jesus mentioned or, or Luke records uh, that he actually comes down from uh, the mountain and he stands in a uh, he comes down from the mountain and he stands in a flat place uh, a level place verse 17 in Luke chapter 6 he came down from them and stood on a level place that doesn't mean it's not in a mountain. Uh, even on mountains. Uh, you know, if you've been to Israel, uh, we were there. There's places on the mountains that are actually flat plateaus on the actual mountain. Matter of fact, yesterday when we were up in Crabtree Falls. On the top of the mountain, uh, it was actually flat enough that there was like flat creek beds that the kids were taking off their shoes and playing in. And it's hard to believe you're actually on the top of the mountain until you walk a little ways over and you see the valley down below. So even on mountains, there are flat level places uh, especially large mountains have lots of different uh, areas of terrain so we don't know for certain uh, i i tend to think that luke just uh, did an abbreviated recording of the sermon on the mount and he didn't cover all of the teachings he covered these specific ones and he also covered them a little differently he just says blessed are the poor or blessed are those who hunger are blessed are those who weep. He doesn't speak of the spiritual implication, and I believe there's a reason why. Because Matthew was written primarily to the Jews, and actually the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uncovers many of the things that are uniquely Jewish, and he also covers in Matthew some of the spiritual backdrop or spiritual implications of those terms like poor or mourning and Luke is covering another aspect of it, and both are important. Uh, I believe that if you take what Matthew covers and you take what Luke covers and you put them together, you get a more clear picture of these things. Because there really are very poor Christians, and yet all believers are to be poor in spirit. So Luke covers one aspect of it, almost the physical aspect or the ramifications to us physically in following Christ. And Matthew covers the heart of why we all must be prepared in heart to have that pour in spirit, to have that love for Jesus, to have that surrendered life, to walk in this blessed life that only comes through the Holy Spirit. Let's look first at a desire. What do I mean by that when I say a desire Well, if you look at these things, starting in verse 20, uh, these are not easy things. We'll look at each of them individually ever so briefly this morning. But uh, to be poor, to be hungry, to weep, to be persecuted. We'll look at them in just a second. But first, if we don't have a desire for Jesus... We're gonna have a really difficult time accepting his plan for our life. Because his plan is not always my plan or your plan. Matter of fact, I would say in your life, most often his plan is not your plan or my plan. And any of the saints that have ever walked through the scriptures, when you meet them in heaven one day, you will hear a resounding again and again, that wasn't my plan, that wasn't my plan. No, that wasn't my plan, that wasn't my plan. That wasn't my plan, that wasn't my plan. So how did you go along with it? Well, he's the master. That's how I went along with it. Because he gave his life for me. I was bought with a price. My life was no longer my own. See, there's people that can actually intellectually say that, and then there's people that actually have embraced it at the heart level that really their life is no longer their own. And I tell you, that's very liberating when you get there to say, my life really doesn't belong to me. You know? It doesn't belong to you. We didn't choose the day we were born. We won't choose the day that we passed into eternity. But everything in between, if we give it to Jesus, when the difficult times come, and they do come, we're able to remember, oh yeah, He's still in control. He allowed this to happen. Turn to me. Turn with me just for a second over to uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter twelve. It comes just after what is recorded uh, by many as the uh, Hall of Faith, the eleventh chapter of Hebrews. Very encouraging. You know, when you're going through difficult times, you can go read Hebrews chapter eleven. See, so you're not alone. Matter of fact, the 12th chapter starts out. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Isn't it great that other people have actually gone through everything we've already gone through? Everything we've done, someone else has already gone through it. More importantly, the Holy Spirit has actually brought them through it. Not just that they've actually experienced it, but they've actually come through it victoriously. And so we can as well. And so look at uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 2. If you're living for Jesus, this is exactly your encouragement. Starting verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author, he's not just the author, and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, Jesus doesn't just preach it, he practices it. The joy set before him. Who in the world could look forward to the crucifixion? Christ, but because the joy of knowing He was going to set men and women free. And He knew that He belonged to the will of the Father. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. See, victory comes out of submission. He sat down on a throne, but only after fully submitting to the will of the Father. Look at verse 3, for consider Him who endured such hostility, there's the persecution, from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Because the Lord knows we can become very discouraged quickly. How long does it take for us to become discouraged? About an eighth of a second. There's no scientific bad. That's just a number I threw out. It doesn't take long, though, for us to become discouraged. We have to remember that the Lord has already told us in advance. There'll be thorns, there'll be thickets, there'll be difficulties, but my life is in The master's hands. Back to Luke chapter 6. See, Jesus turns in verse 1 here. He turns toward, turns his, lifted up his eyes and he turns toward his disciples, his apprentices. His followers have pledged commitment. There are a lot of churchgoers, there's not a lot of disciples, lots of churchgoers. A lot less down. I told you we've, we've dropped churchgoers from 47% back in the early 90s down to 25% now. Every major denomination has seen churches close down. So even though there's less churchgoers, there's still a lot of churchgoers in, in sheer numbers, but there's not a lot of disciples. Jesus said many are called, few are chosen. He turns to his disciples, not necessarily the multitudes... He had a multitude there, but he turned to the disciples. And inside of a multitude, there's some that are disciples. There's some that are churchgoers. There's some that are testing the waters. Should I? Should I not? Let me hear a little bit of this. Am I interested? Is this really for me? Over in John chapter 6, we find that many turn away after Jesus gives even some more difficult teaching about truly eating of his very own flesh, which means just to take the entirety of his life upon themselves and to walk as he did, completely abandoned to the will of the Father. But our desire for godliness, if you have a desire for godliness, you didn't give it to yourself, nor did I. You can't desire godliness because Paul wrote in Romans, in my flesh nothing good dwells. There's not a place for us to all of a sudden desire the beatitudes of our life, to be in our life. It's not there. We receive that supernaturally through salvation, and then the Holy Spirit turns on, turns on in our hearts the connectors to the teachings of Christ, the connectors to the will of the Father where we can actually hear and receive desires that come from him i've said a million times i started back when i was leading youth uh oh seven eight years ago i remember i used to tell the youth um uh you know when it would be a beautiful wednesday night and i'm like kids when i was on say this is the last place on earth i would want to be why because it would be really nice weather. I'd want to be out playing beach volleyball. I'd want to be surfing. I'd want to be doing something else. I did not want to be sitting indoors at a Bible study on a Wednesday night. Why do I care about that now? Why do you care about that now? It's not because all of a sudden you said, I'm going to care. It's because the Holy Spirit makes a change. That's why so many people can actually go for a little while and then they just drop off and go by the wayside and they return to the world because they don't have a change within. You can't have a poor in spirit. You can't have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can't have these things unless the Holy Spirit has done the initial work of transformation a conversion when paul was on the road to damascus he was one man when he left damascus he was a different man if any man be in christ he is a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new so this desire if you desire i don't by the way this is not a desire to be poor to cry a lot to be persecuted this is that's not it Some of those things may happen. It's a desire to have the mind and heart of Jesus. Then, whatever path he gives you, some days will be great, some days will be really hard. You're accepting of it through his will. That desire. Our godly desires come First, through humility at the foot of the cross. When you truly humble yourself and you truly are thankful for forgiveness. When I got saved the day I walked forward at Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, and I knelt at the altar and I literally wept, I did not think even for a second I deserved salvation. And I didn't. And I still don't. Nor do you. And I was so grateful. But we need that kind of brokenness to then thank God for grace. And until you have that brokenness, grace is kind of cheap and meaningless to you. But once you've received that grace through a broken and contrite spirit that God will not reject, then He opens your eyes and says, now, follow me wherever I lead you. But what if it goes really rough? It's okay. You belong to me. I'll take care of you. I'll bring you through these things, through times of poor, through times of difficulty, through times of sorrow. If someone says, I I just can't seem to care for spiritual things, I can't seem to care for it, you got to go to the cross. you got to go back and decide, have I come to a place where I've become a disciple of Christ, or am I still just a follower from a distance? Am I still just a churchgoer? Am I still this or that? Have I really surrendered my life to the Lord? Now, there is, of course, motivating factors that can lead us to the cross. People, if, uh, if you, uh, you've got to read, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll talk more about it Wednesday night when our study of Ezekiel, but you've got to read this month's um, Calvary Chapel magazine. Tom Price and the staff did a, a phenomenal job on it. The, the story of Ukraine reminds me of what's happening in our own nation, where just, what is it, six, 12 months ago, six, eight months ago, they could hardly give away Bibles to people. Boy, crisis came and people got scared. They can't keep the Bibles in stock. People want to know. They were like, I I thought I had a little bit of religion, but I need the real thing. Literally people saying that. I need what's real. I need to know what's really true. I need to know what Jesus really said. Because there's a lot of religion, but it doesn't help you when real crisis comes. You need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that rides out storms. Let's look at this difficulty. As we look at these four things, these four beatitudes that Luke mentions, four of the eight, mentioned over in Matthew. But these four he mentions specifically. He doesn't mention the spiritual application, I believe, on purpose. He says, blessed are you poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. He looks at the terra firma, and then he looks up to the heavens. Blessed are you who hunger now, you'll be filled. When? He doesn't say. Blessed are you who weep, now you shall laugh. Exactly when will that be? There's not a date given. Blessed are you when men hate you and revile you and uh, persecute you, all that that fun stuff. But what does it say? For the Son of Man's sake. For the Son of Man's sake. Not for being a mean person. (laughs) When people are mean to you because you're mean first, that's a different problem. It's because of the Son of Man's sake. Isn't it weird some of the nicest people that have ever walked planet earth have been the most persecuted? Those that were really the servants of Christ? Those that were really the followers of Christ? I mean, some evil people have, have really tormented some of the kindest, most generous people for the name of Jesus Christ. But look at these four things, poor. How many of you remember your marriage vows? There's this one line in there for most people, for richer or for, no one hopes for the second part of that. Not that anyone, that I, I certainly didn't, I still don't. I hope we're poor, because then we'll really know how much we love each other. <laughs> I hope we have hardly anything in the covers to eat, because then we'll know, we can live on love. <laughs> people say that kind of stuff that, well, I don't know, they romanticize it, and then when they get there, they fine, it's a little harder than that. Um, Sarah and I, we, we, were, uh, we had only been, we'd only been married a couple of years. Uh, back when I was starting out early, most of you know, I, I was in the business world for 15 years or so. In the early part of my career, uh, I, was, I, I had a guy who was mentoring me. He was a very successful businessman down in Charlotte, North Carolina. We live in Charlotte. And uh, he brought us to his house. He was a believer, Christian guy. Uh, and the Lord had blessed him and his family pretty well. And Beautiful home. Uh, kind of some sprawling acres there outside of Charlotte and, um, and we were sitting there and we, at th- this time Sarah and I were still paying off college loans and we didn't have much and I had even gone to a car that I absolutely hated to get out of debt. It was ugly and everything else but the Lord used it in a good way and it's good to be humble anyway. So uh, we were there and he's telling us about how they really missed the days when they just ate ramen noodles and beans and we were like we don't miss those days at all. He's trying to romanticize it to help us feel better. And I'm like, this isn't helping. I I don't miss those days at all. And I still don't really miss that part of it. But how many of us are really okay with being poor? You're totally okay with it. God knows. You can't lie to God. I'm totally okay with Lord. Okay, let's see how you react then. Now, deep down... We don't pursue being poor, but we must accept the will of the Lord if that be the case, for richer or for poor, going back to those marriage vows. There's seasons. There's seasons in your life. Some of you have lost everything in a season and had to rebuild. There's seasons in our lives. Some of them, Paul talked about have, being abounding and having very little, different seasons in our lives. The Lord will allow seasons because seasons really test us. And poverty, though, for the believer, poverty is the case for millions of believers worldwide. In fact, in many countries of the world, the majority of the true followers of Christ are financially poor. Would you agree with me? Our brothers and sisters in China, India, parts of many parts of Africa, parts of South America, not everywhere, but there is Many countries where the majority of Christ followers, I mean the disciples of Christ, are financially poor. And yet they're some of the most giving people you'll find. I I have heard story after story after story. It's amazing, the heart of giving. Paul referenced this in his writings as well. uh, Giving out of their need. People that are some of the most giving people. Moses, you guys know, he, he, he grew up in a palace. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11, that, that hall of faith I mentioned, esteeming the reproach of Christ as greater than the riches of the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward, the reward, what? The reward that Christ would give him for surrendering Moses' will to the will of God. And Moses said, if I have to live in a desert and be a sheep herder, which someday he'd be a people herder, which was way harder, Remember, he didn't want to give up the sheep for people. Because sheep don't really, well, they don't talk back, slander, blah, blah, blah. They don't do a lot of the stuff people do. You just shear them when you're ready. But Moses gave up the riches of Egypt because he esteemed the riches of Christ. He said, Lord, if it's your will that I be a man that owns nothing but a staff and a tent, I'm okay with it. And he gave up, Pharaoh had all the gold, the silver, the prestige, uh, the cover of the magazines, the time man of the year, all that stuff. Pharaoh had all that. Moses gave it all up for the riches of Christ. Proverbs 11:25, though tells us. Now by the way, as believers, some believers in this country and other countries are poor, not because they're deep followers of Christ. Some people are financially poor, quite the opposite. Some people are financially poor because they're very stingy and won't be givers. That's a different problem altogether. We don't have time to go into that today. But just be aware that there are people that are financially poor in other nations and in our own nation that really have, God has given them a ministry, a life of poverty to still rightly represent Christ in different ways than there's other people that God perhaps would have a different blessing but they choose to be hoarding and hold it on and then they're never out of debt. They can't they live paycheck to paycheck. They can't do anything because of a different issue altogether. And the Lord wants to deliver us from that as well. Proverbs 11:25, he who waters others will water will be watered himself. So if we're going to be poor financially, it should be following Christ in obedience to Christ, not because we're being still rebellious in the things the Lord has asked us to do. But all of us believers should be poor in spirit. Humble. That's what it is. To be humble in spirit. To be humbled by the grace of God. You have to be humbled that God would forgive a wretch like you and me, right? That's the poor in spirit. Then there is hunger. He mentions hunger. Bless you who hunger now, you'll be filled. This hungering For the word of God, Job says in Job 23, 12, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. If you do not hunger for the word of God, you'll not be transformed by the spirit of God. Because the word of God and the spirit of God go hand in hand. The more you hunger for his word, the more you'll hunger for his righteousness. Where do we find his righteousness? In his word. That's why we go verse by verse in the Bible here. I could teach from a lot of really slick, Well crafted books, but none of them have life changing power. Amen? Lifeway has a lot of books, some which are very good. I go in there too, but none of them replace this. If every other book falls off the earth and this is the only one that remains, you and I will do just fine if we hunger and thirst for this book. Amen? The other thing, we don't need another bestseller. We really don't. We don't need another Bible commentary. We need believers who hunger and thirst for the Word of God and the living God and that which comes from the God. You know, Pastor David Guzik out at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, he's taught Calvary Bible College for years over in Germany, and now he's been over there at Santa Barbara for about two years. A couple Sundays ago, you know, he did not preach a message. He simply read from the book of John. And, he, and a bunch of people got saved. And he's a great gifted teacher, and, he's a, and he knows the Word. He's written a commentary that I read that's you know every book of the Bible, and he just read the words of God. Why is that important? Because it's the Word of God that changes lives. We have to hunger and thirst for it. We have to meditate on it day and night. Why? Because it's like rivers of water when we really feast on the Word of God. That kind of, uh, you know, our brothers and sisters who are in prison in North Korea or in Iran, they literally are, in many cases they're starving, but they're feeding on the word that's in their mind and heart. It's what keeps them going. What about mourning? Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Um, many people are going through times of trial that make uh, for times of tears or weeping or difficulty. Uh, I'm sure everybody in here has had times that they can look to. Some of you may be going through those right now. But for the believer, we can really believe what Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. One of my favorite verses, I love that verse, because morning is not only true, but metaphorically the case in our lives there are many times when you go to bed feeling lousy you wake up and read read the word of god the next day pray and you you feel a joy come upon you that comes the lord there's other times that the morning is months later true that the uh joyful time is not immediate it takes a waiting on the lord But, you know, we can choose to be joyful even in the worst of times. I love that there in the prison, Paul and Silas decided to start singing hymns. Who does that? Except for the Holy Spirit that convinces them that they can sing not based on the present circumstance, but based on the future circumstance of heaven. To say, we don't really, this earth isn't our home. So we're going to choose the joy of the Lord even in the worst of times. And I tell you what, the Holy Spirit, when He reminds you of these things, He can actually put a little smile on your face in the worst of times. And it actually is really helpful when you start to bemoan things that aren't even that big a deal. You ever get bummed out about things? You're like, why am I even bummed out about this? This is not that big. See, Satan's always selling a bill of goods. The Lord says, keep your eyes upon me, author, finisher of the faith. And then lastly, this one, this fourth one, blessed are you when men hate you, when men exclude you. Now this is the one uh, that really uh, bothers a lot. Fear of man is a big, big snare for all of us as believers. Amen? We want people to like us. We want people to receive our our message. We want people to uh, like our family. We want people to not think we're a kook because we follow Christ. I'm not weird, man. I'm really not. I still like spaghetti, I still like baseball, I, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I'm normal like you, but I have been saved. I've been redeemed. You guys have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He wrote the famous book, Cost of Discipleship, was uh, executed by the Nazis actually just a couple of months before World War II, ended, he barely missed making it through alive before he was, before he was executed uh, by Hitler and, and his evil men. But in Christmas of 1943, the only Christmas he spent at the Tegel prison there in Germany before uh, he finally was uh, executed, it said early, he wrote this poem to all the prisoners. He wrote this, he says, Early in the morning I do cry unto thee, help me to pray and to think only of thee. I cannot pray alone, in me there is darkness, but with thee there is light. I am lonely, but thou leavest me not. I am feeble in heart, but thou leavest me not. I am restless, but with thee there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with thee there is patience. Thy ways are past understanding, but thou knowest the way for me. He wrote a lot of amazing things uh, there in the, the last days of his life. But I read that to say... Even faithful saints, you see the imperfections of the man. Bitterness, feeble, difficulty. These things are not foreign to the believer. The Holy Spirit takes us through them, beyond them. You can even write about them as if you're looking at them from a distance, even though they somehow are still in you, and the Holy Spirit is weeding them out. Blessed are the... Jesus, you know, blessed are you... You have to, he says. Uh, when when men, men revile you and cast out your name as evil, he he has to tell you to rejoice for joy. It won't be your natural reaction. He has to tell you, and here's how I want you to react, because your mind won't want to react that way. Neither did Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The Holy Spirit was training him. See, disciples are trained. If you follow yourself. You get to have any response you want. But if you're following Christ, your responses come from Him. And by the way, if you follow yourself and any response belongs to you, you can respond any way you want, there's really no deliverance or peace with that anyway. True? Bitter people are not happy people just because they get to give everyone a piece of their mind. They have more ulcers than everybody else. Those that follow the Lord and receive persecution for His name's sake, they have the Lord helping them through those things. If you're really saved and you're following Christ, you're going to experience. Let me just be clear about this. You will absolutely, if you are soundly saved, been converted following jesus christ you will experience some rejection some opposition and even perhaps real persecution at some time in your life even in america someone is not going to like you there was a story of a ship that was sinking in the middle of the storm and the captain called out the crew and said does anyone here know how to pray one man stepped forward and says yes sir i know how to pray the captain said wonderful you pray while the rest of us put on the life jackets because we're one short That's a bit of life as a believer. You ever experience that in the job? You wonder why you got slighted? You can handle it. You got your whole religion thing. The rest of us, we don't have that. We don't believe in that. So if you really believe in that, here you go. 2 Timothy three twelve. Yes, and all who desire to live godly, In Christ Jesus, again, if you're going to walk in Christ, we'll suffer persecution. I remember a promotion that I was, I mean, it was guaranteed. I had every manager on my side guaranteed that I was going to get it. But their boss spent a day with me. I I flew out to Dallas, and uh, we went to a, uh, actually we went to a hockey game that night, and uh, he picked me up in his beautiful Jaguar, and I could tell he was not comfortable with my faith in Christ at all. So he, he shut the door on the whole thing. The Lord was in it. That's how I ended up in Richmond and eventually walking away from business and, and being a pastor. But the Lord was in the whole thing where the Lord purposely shut the door and I know it without a shadow of doubt. He was not comfortable. I think this man had grown up in Oklahoma going to a church, but he didn't have Christ. He had religion. And he's asking me, and my whole life was based on Christ, and it was too much for him. So he pinned it on all these other things. You know, there's really smart HR things you can do if you're in the world. There's ways around the believer, isn't there? You don't need the life jacket. You'll be fine. You just pray to your God. But you know what? Our God won't ever abandon us. Amen? He'll be there for us. Isaiah 51 says listen to me you who know righteousness the people and whose heart is my law fear not the reproach fear not the reproach of man nor be dismayed at their revilings even in the old testament don't fear man fear the lord fear of the lord drives all the other fears out and the holy spirit will have to continue to remind us that because we're naturally fearful and when we're hungry we like to eat and we're a poor, we like a paycheck, right? All that's true. The Lord says, go back and reread this. I'm in control. Hebrews chapter 12, and look unto me. Last thing we look at this morning, uh, the deception. There surely is a deception. And Jesus, in the same manner that he mentions the four Beatitudes or the four blessings, he mentions four woes that mirror. They actually are side-by-side parallels. This is those that choose to follow Christ. This is those that choose to follow themselves. Woe to you who are rich, verse 24. You've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full. You shall hunger when that day of reckoning would come. Woe to you who laugh now. You'll mourn and weep. You know, some of the most. Vi- I can't watch. You know, you, you like to watch comedy, but it's hard to watch anymore because almost all the comedy is filth now. You know, that might be funny to the world, but it's not funny to God. And people can laugh about it now, but if they don't, and by the way, we don't want to see anyone uh, that's in that die in the place they're at now. We want them to all come to know Christ. But when people that laugh and think it's hysterical to use God's name in vain, that's not, God's not laughing. And to use all kinds of immoral uh, usages and movies and comedy routines and everything else, and everything, they make light of sin. And it's funny now, but it's not funny at the great white throne judgment, is it? And he says, you who laugh, You shall mourn and weep. Woe to you, when all men speak well of you. You know, if everyone thinks you're the swell person, if everyone thinks you're great, that's not great, according to God. There should be a witness that some people are off-put by your faith in Christ. We've got a lot of false teachers in the quote-unquote Christian world that are very well-liked. You know, I mentioned just on Wednesday, you know, we've got a pastor, well, he did have a ministry, but, you know, know, Rob Bell, who wrote Love Wins, he does not believe that there's even a hell. You know, that's great and all, if the Bible agreed with that, but the Bible has a lot to say. It has more to say about hell than it does about heaven. Jesus preached on it. We're going to get... When we get to Luke and, and uh, later on the book of Luke, Jesus is going to give us an eyewitness account in hell of a man named Lazarus. Jesus. Jesus tells us exactly what's taking place and how horrific it is and how He doesn't want anyone to go there. But you know what? You'll be very popular if you say, peace, peace, and everything's going to be okay, and you're all going to be multimillionaires, and you're never going to experience anything... A lot of people will love to hear that. And you can write books that will be on the New York Times bestseller, and people will speak well of you, and you'll be on Good Morning America, you'll be on Oprah, you'll be on this, you'll be on that. Everyone will pat your back and say, that is the most inspiring, beautiful thing I've ever heard. And God will say, but there's not an ounce of truth in it. Have you never heard my son teach? Go read Luke chapter 6. Go read John, go read John uh, chapter 4. Go read... Matthews chapter 5 through 7, go read what I actually said. And these things here, what are you living for? Who are you living for? Who are you following? Well, if it's money, if it's uh, the things of this world to be rich, those things have a very short shelf life. life. The short shelf life is this earth. And after that, there's the little dot of your life. Eternity is a line that never stops. What a bad trade, isn't it? To trade the dot for the everlasting line. Satan is the most incredibly insidious, dishonest salesperson ever. I'll sell you the dot. You give me the long line of your life, of eternity. Jesus says, whoa, major, incredible warning to you. Whoa. Whoa to you who are rich now. You have it all. You know, I wouldn't trade anything for you know, the, the wealthy executive or the Hollywood superstar or the music that doesn't have salvation. First of all, even the ones that are really rich, you ever notice you, it boggles your mind because you, most of us think, man, if I had their money, I'd be feeding poor, I'd be doing this, I'd be doing that. And they're actually addicted to prescription drugs. And they're uh, they're depressed, and uh, they're on antidepressant, and all these things. You're like, I thought all that money. Maybe the Rolling Stones were right when they said we can't get any satisfaction. It's true. You have everything, and you still have nothing. You lay in bed, and you look up at the ceiling, and you can't fall asleep because you still don't have peace. That's what much of the world. They have wealth, but they don't have the riches of Christ that Moses experienced, that Paul experienced. Psalm 39, 6 says, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they, they busy themselves in vain. Well, isn't that true today? Is there not more vain busyness than ever? i got to run home. i got to put two hours in on Facebook. Really? Go take a walk. Go enjoy the sunshine. Go share the Lord with someone. Go get a Bible study. Go do something. But they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And truly... No one really knows who gathers them afterwards. It could be the government, it could be a family squabble over all the riches. No one really knows because they're now passed away. Job 20 verse 5 and 15 says that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. He swallows down riches and then vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. You know I could read verse after verse, after verse. God has a lot to say about this, that people who pursue wealth, it is such an aimless, destructive, don't desire to be rich, many pierce themselves with sorrows. Now, if the Lord blesses you, and some He does, there are some Joseph of Arimatheas out there, aren't there? Good men that God gave wealth to. D.L. Moody, one of his best friends, even though D.L. Moody was a brilliant businessman and could have made a lot of money, he gave it up to be be an evangelist. One of his friends was actually gifted financially and he funded many of D.L. Moody's evangelistic enterprises. So there is a role for the godly person who God blessed financially. If you are that person, praise the Lord, use it for the glory of God, but don't pursue those things. Receive them if they're given. Just like if you're given poverty, receive it. Whatever the Lord's call in our life is laying up what in heaven we will have. That's what he says up there in the first verse I mentioned. For yours is the kingdom of God, treasure in heaven versus those in uh, woe to you who are rich. You've received your consolation. You have your pat on the back. You have the great retirement. You got to golf almost every day of the year until the day you died. You got to do all the things you wanted, and then what? You've had your consolation. There was a greedy man who had a great deal of wealth, and he was determined to take his money with him when he died. He gave strict orders that when he died, all of his stocks and assets were to be liquidated, and all of his life earnings were to be placed in his casket and buried with him. When he finally died, many people came to the graveside service. They were surprised to see the man's castic clothes closed and lowered in the grave, but apparently empty. After the service, a family member approached the man's lawyer, who had been entrusted with the man's will, and asked, what happened to all the money that was supposed to be buried with him? The lawyer smirked and replied, don't worry, I wrote him a check. <laughs> Earthly wealth, you don't get to take it with you heavenly treasure. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Moth can't get to it. Rust can't get to it. Lawyers can't get to it. The IRS can't get to it. Greedy family members can't get to it. Right? Lay it up in heaven. And Jesus, he sums it up so clearly in Matthew 16, 26. What does it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Deal Moody, Eric Liddell, George Mueller, gifted men that could have been rich and famous (coughs) exchanged it, but you know what? They're in heaven sitting around with Moses and John the Baptist and Joshua. It was worth it. No one in heaven will ever say, you know, Moses, wouldn't, it, wouldn't you have rather been mentioned with the great of, greatest of pharaohs? I'd always be like, you know where Pharaoh is. No, not a chance. I'd rather be mentioned with Jesus Christ to be named with him. I'll close with a poem by a woman by the name of Ellen Bailey. She was born in the Puritan mines up in West Virginia. Listen to this as we come to a close. I strive for riches and worldly gains. I pursued my goals with unabated shame. I wanted wealth and a famous name. I didn't need anyone. That was my game. I got what I, was, what I was after and lost it all. I watched while others rejoiced in my fall. I had no riches and friends did not call. I was alone with my back against the wall. But Jesus found me and cleansed my soul. He forgave me my sins and made me whole. He loved and nourished me as a merits foal. I now have many friends and riches untold. You know, that's true in the life of those that know Christ. Amen? We're born into a family. We may not have the wealth of a billionaire, but we have a Heavenly Father who owns it all. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.